thank all of you for listening to this podcast. We, have, as, as you know, this podcast is devoted to Rush Limbaugh, my hero, my friend, my boss, the greatest broadcaster, in my opinion, who ever lived. And behind every great broadcaster, though, there's an organization. There are people that make what happens happen. You don't just go into a room one day and decide, okay, I'm going to be a broadcaster. Somebody's there, turns on the mic. Well, okay, and here you are. No, this happens as a result of a lot of hard work, not just on the part of what in the industry is referred to as talent. That would be what Rush Limbaugh would be, the talent. But behind every person that's the talent, there have to be so many other jobs. And people don't really realize, a lot of people don't, that are not in this industry, what it takes to have a very successful radio career. Well, you need people that have radio stations, number one, and that want to put you on those radio stations. But you are not going to those radio stations yourself. There are people that do that for you. There are people who sell your program for you so that you have advertisers. There are people who market your program for you so that the country knows who you are the way that you want to be framed. There are people that do so many jobs and we have what in our industry is called traffic. Most people wouldn't know what that is. Well, traffic deals with the commercials, how they're placed, where they're placed. We have engineers like the great engineers like Brian Johnson and Mike Mamone, who you'll hear from at some point in this podcast series. But then there are the executives, the guys that say yay, the guys that say nay, the guys that make things happen behind the scenes. And in the radio industry, there is a man, and I've referred to him in earlier episodes, who would be the equivalent of a household name. You cannot be in the radio industry and not know who he is because he is the most successful executive there is in the broadcast industry. He's brought more people that have talent to light. He is one of the nicest men you will ever meet in life unless you cross him. And then he'll be your worst enemy. He is, um, people don't know the generosity of his spirit. Maybe I'll be able to get some of that out because I know some things about him over the years that a lot of people don't. But he was with Rush for the last 20 years or more. And he also runs, this will show you this, the, the stature, the Radio Hall of Fame. He's a legend. His name is Craig Kitchen and Craig is here with us today. Whether you listened every day, you are at the EIB Network and the Rush Limbaugh program heard on over 600 great radio stations. Or every now and then. Nation's leading radio talk show, the most eagerly anticipated program in America. These are the stories you've never heard from the people behind the scenes who knew him best and loved him most. Rush Limbaugh having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, hosted by James Golden. Through the Stand Up for Betsy Ross campaign, you changed the lives of dozens of hero families in need. The campaign benefited the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes for our nation's most catastrophically injured veterans and first responders to give them their independence for Gold Star families and fallen first responder families with young children. Tunnel to Towers pays off mortgages in full for these families and provides them with the comfort of a home when their world has literally been turned upside down. 
And thanks to this campaign, the Stand Up for Betsy Ross campaign, you have seen to it that we have been able to send a charitable donation in total of $5 million to Tunnel the Towers. Your kindness, generosity, and patriotism brought hope when it was needed most. But more of America's heroes and their families need your support. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's the letter T, the number two, T.org. So, Craig, welcome. Thank you. Very kind words. I'm not sure I deserve all of them, but thank you. You do deserve all of them. Now, let me ask you a question, uh, Craig. How'd you meet Rush? I met Rush in 1997 when Premier Networks obtained the distribution rights of Rush's program from Ed McLaughlin and EFM Media, a financial transaction, the first one that really, really put Rush Limbaugh's radio program value on the map for the industry. It gave Ed McLaughlin the funds to retire very comfortably on. It gave Rush uh, an incredible stipend to continue wanting to be on radio and to focus on it. And most importantly, it gave him the the underwire and the current and the background and the backbone to say, I can do this for as long as I want to because I've got a company that's got my back and got my resources and has every last thing he needs. And that was Premier, and you founded Premier Radio Networks. There were six of us that founded Premier in 1987. And it took 10 years of growth and hard work to be able to earn the trust of personalities like Rush Limbaugh to be able to say, that's a company that I can be with that I know will have my back. How'd you get in radio? I mean, how did, what's your story? I was an air personality in 1981 and 1982, and I was very mediocre when I was behind the microphone. Very mediocre. But by 1983, I had discovered that I was very good behind the scenes helping people realize their full potential. And so I took some time to learn how to sell advertising and how the radio industry worked. And by 1987, I had found half a dozen partners who wanted to make what in the radio industry we call a radio network, a place where air personalities like yourself could come and be their very best. And that radio network would find radio stations to be heard on and advertisers to pay your paycheck. What was it like when you first met Rush? What, what, when you, for the first time? It was in New York City. And Rush was broadcasting that week from WABC. And like a lot of individuals that come to New York City and go to work, Rush was suit and tie that day. And very, very formal and very focused on his radio program. And we had arranged some time in the morning to have a meeting. And in that time in 1997, when I met him, I had no idea how focused he was between 8.30 and noon when he first went on the air. But for some reason, the meeting time that he had set up was at 10.30 in the morning. And so I went to have a meeting thinking, we're going to spend the next hour, hour and a half talking until noon. (laughs) Because Rush made it look and listen so easy that to anybody who ever has tuned in to listen to him, it sounds like it is a gift from God that the microphones open, the music plays, and he just starts talking to you as your best friend. I had no idea that he spent the better part of 15 hours leading up to that moment preparing for that show. So on that morning in New York City, 
I find the equivalent suit and tie for that meeting and I go to WABC to meet the man I'm just about to sign a new four-year agreement with and start working with, and I'm thinking we've got the better part of 90 minutes just to get to know each other, and you find out very quickly, you have about eight minutes. (laughs) And those eight minutes better count. And so we had a great eight minutes together. Wow. And we understood that we were going to be working together again. And he made it very clear to me that he's got it really all figured out. And I just needed to find my groove and my rhythm and my relationship with the different staff members that uh, he was working with at the time. But he could not have been warmer and more gregarious in that period of time. Rush has an ability when he meets somebody for the first time to be singularly focused on you and makes you feel like you are the single most important person in his mind. And you have that. So I left feeling absolutely fantastic. I'm sure you have felt that and others who have appeared on this podcast have said the same thing. Do you know who else, that very description, there's one other person I've heard that very description about, Bill Clinton. That ability to focus in on you so clearly that you think you're the only one you're the only one that exists and and he's there for you every single moment and you've got the you've got that that ability too craig yeah thank you, know? you. yeah thank you. you know it's 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 either in your nature or it's not in your nature i don't stop and take inventory of myself that way but um i certainly saw that and felt that in the first time that i got to meet rush if i were of the attitude that my primary goal was to go in that studio every day and make sure that America heard everything I said and acted on it. You know, the ratings of the show are just plummet. I think I just happen to be saying what a whole lot of people think but don't have a chance to say themselves. That's why they call me the most dangerous man in America. As you know, on this series, we've been talking with some of Rush's friends, his colleagues, and family members. Today, we have a very special guest on Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB, Mike. He's a special friend of our program. In fact, he's come down to our Southern Command to interview Rush for his television show any number of times, every time. It was like a family reunion. A dear friend to Rush, a dear friend to the Rush Limbaugh program, Sean Hannity. The Life of Rush Limbaugh, Chapter 3, narrated by Sean Hannity. After enduring a painful year of college at Southeastern Missouri University, young Rush Limbaugh, he bid farewell to college life and then immersed himself into his next big radio job. After loading up his 1969 Pontiac Le Mans, Rush headed east with dreams of making it big in the Iron City. And DJ Rusty Sharp from Cape Girardeau, Missouri was soon reborn as Bachelor Jeff Christie, first hosting an afternoon drive shift and later holding down the morning show on Wixie 1360, known as one of Pittsburgh's premier top 40 radio stations. Now, WIXC, the Keysport, continues with much more Wixie 1360 Solid Rock and Gold. It's 7.03 in the morning on Wixie Solid Rock and Gold, the Bachelor Jeff Radio Network from 1360. Want to have a big hand for Mr. and Mrs. Arnold Paluski, a couple of new members to the Christie Radio Network this morning, celebrating their 25th refrigerator payment today. Jeff Christie lasted barely 18 months on WIXZ before he was fired. That was in the fall of 1972 over what were described as, quote, differences over format. 
His departure from Wixie 1360 quickly led to a bigger opportunity for Rush, a.k.a. Jeff Christie, and an early 1973 crosstown Top 40 competitor, KQV Radio, well, they hired him to be their new nighttime DJ that afforded Rush an even bigger platform and another opportunity to further develop his on-air persona. KQV, Pittsburgh. I'm Jeff Christie was beginning to hone future on-air skills that would eventually become the trademarks of Rush Limbaugh's excellence in broadcasting. Now, Rush would soon learn success in radio is kind of fickle, especially as station ownership changes hands. In a dramatic turn of events, the lame duck KQV management, well, they pushed the new program director to fire Rush, and 90 days later, Rush Limbaugh, Jeff Christie, was out of work. When I got fired, I thought I was finished. I'd given it my best shot. DJ didn't work out. I didn't want to do anything else. This has been my one passion. And in a stinging rebuke that Rush would remember for decades, the station's general manager told the 20-something Rush Limbaugh that he would, quote, never make it in radio as an air talent and that he should strongly consider the sales end of the radio business. I had an interview with a sales manager at a station and the guy was a genuine lunatic. He's, I'm just me, I'm interviewing for the job and he's yelling and screaming at me about what his demands will be and what they are. And I said, geez, I gotta face this every day. So after three years of trying to make a go of it in Pittsburgh, while Rush was out of another radio gig, feeling defeated and dejected, he returned to the security and comfort of his home in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Rush was down, but as we all know, far from out. His determination for success far outweighed the idea of failure. The long version here of, t- of telling you that this has been, that's why I'm so fortunate. I've, I was able to end up doing what I think I was born to do. I've never had passion for anything else. I mean, career-wise, like I've got for this. Not long ago, Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, and his team fit me for my very own MyPillow. They also introduced me to their other incredible products, like their mattress topper, sheets, towels, slippers, and more. Sleep is important to me, and I assume to you too. It's time you give MyPillow a try and see for yourself. Listeners have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today, and Mike Lindell wants to give back to you now. Get great discounts on MyPillow products by going to MyPillow.com right now and clicking on the Radio Listener Special Square. You'll see offers up to 66% off on products like their pillows, mattress, topper, and Giza sheets, as well on new products like their slippers, weighted blankets, robes, and waffle blankets. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee into promo code ICON. That's I-C-O-N. You've been with all of us for so long. Let me go back through that that day because that day was so profound. Like I said, you you called us at different times. Dawn said, you, I didn't know until today that you had talked to Dawn the night before. You talked to me that morning. You talked to Brian. When did you find out what was going on with Rush's uh, illness? And what was your reaction when you heard it? 
And who did you hear it from? I heard it from Rush and Catherine, and I had heard it the week before and late in the week before. And so I uh, learned in a very, very difficult conversation from Rush that he had advanced lung cancer. And like you, we had seen some irregularities in his on-air behavior and his uh, availability in the couple of weeks leading up to that. Rush is a very private person, and if he chooses to take a day off, it's for a very important reason, and typically, he does not need to tell you. You're on an information need-to-know basis. But he had taken several days off over the last three weeks leading up to February 3rd, um, and so late the, um, the week before, uh, we had an afternoon phone conversation, which is rare because Rush typically did not like to use the telephone for conversations. Email was one form. Text messaging may have been another form. But in this particular case, he had asked to have a phone conversation that afternoon. And so he shared the news that he had advanced lung cancer and that he had been diagnosed not once but twice to get a confirmation that he was dealing with that. In my time with Rush, I have learned to um, work with him when he lost his hearing, like you did. I have worked with him when he's had some problems with uh, other parts of his body, uh, you know, one of them being, you know, as a man gets older in life, is your heart working regularly? What do you do in terms of good heart health? All of those things. And now along, I hear advanced lung cancer. And I also heard a confidence in his voice that he had been diagnosed not once but twice, but that there was a good group of doctors, a team of doctors and scientists that were going to come to help him. And because I had lived through the worst of life with Rush in his health on a couple of different capacities, to me, Rush was a man who had incredible mental capabilities. If he put his mind to something, if he focused on it, if he looked for the answers, and I was right behind him and saying, we're going to get all the resources that you need for this, knowing full well that he had his wife, Catherine, to help him, that he had a good group of people to go to. So he shared with me several days before I had the chance to share with you. And he asked me to maintain my quietness. And so I carried that conversation in my mind, uh, apart from any other human being until that Monday when he wanted to be the one to share with you. And aside from you, James, and, and Dawn and Brian, who were the nucleus, the family of four in the studio, there were 20 more people that are on our team. And they're all over the United States. And he felt it was important to share the news simultaneously with each of you. Because just like he has relationships with you that are so uniquely special, he has the same yep. with uh, individuals in New York and in Los Angeles and, and other parts of the United States that all work together to make the program, the website, the Limbaugh letter, all of those pieces. So that was the day. And we took into account everybody's schedule so that we could get everybody together before the show. You talked to everybody on the staff pretty much. I did. So I tried my best to get in touch with each of the staff without disclosing to them what we are going to be talking about and without putting fear and worry. You know, one of our team members was driving that morning, six and a half hours to get to that meeting, Dawn. And the thing that carried in my mind was you don't want to tell somebody news that is going to hinder their ability to safely drive. 
you want her to arrive safely for that meeting. Um, so you find a balance. You find a way to get it done and so that everybody is there together uh, for what is going to be one of the toughest days of their life. Rush was so stoic when he did it. I mean, you, you know, there was not a lot of emotion going on except, which I still to this day cannot believe that he actually apologized to us and said that he, and then said somehow he thought he was letting us down. Mm -hmm. That still blows my mind. But aside from that, he was, he could have been, he was so stoic about it all. He started that conversation as if it was just a staff meeting. And we did never had staff meetings, right? Right. Two of them in 25 years of working together. Right. But you're right. He was stoic that moment. Did you get any hint to whether he was, was scared or what? You had another conversation with him. Do you? And, and, and like all of us, we all have different relationships with him. Your relationship with Rush was, was different than ours. Yeah. It was, you were his business partner. And, yes. And yeah. So what was, what did you get from him? Um, I got the fact that he was resolved to get the best medical treatment. I got the fact, or I got the sensation that he was up against something that he had never come up against before, that it was much more serious than losing his hearing and making your living as a talk show host. It was much more serious than um, worrying about family health history and having it happen to you. I got His the, mom, Millie, died of, of lung cancer. Exactly. And Millie was, for those, I, I had uh, I had a lot of great interactions with Millie. Uh, Millie would email, would mail me cassettes of music. We love talking about music together. Um, when Rush in the early days, we'd go like places. Millie would, would be there, and Millie and I always hung out. I remember rocking Kristen to sleep, David's daughter, when she was mm -hmm. a baby, while I was you know, speaking with Millie and I were having a right. conversation while I was, it, it's like memories like that, 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 right. that stick out. Would you remember James, for instance, the fact that Rush talked to his mom, Millie every day until she passed away? Yeah. Yes. How many adult grown men who do not live in the same city with their mother as high profile and as busy and in demand as that gentleman was, would find time to talk to his mother every day. Every day. I'd go home to visit my mother and I'd get there to be 150 books stacked up on the table in the dining room that she'd collected from people who have been sending them in. And I said, Mother, I'm coming here to get away from you. No, son, you got, these people love you. You got They've sent me those books and you've got to sign them so I can send them back. I said, I'm not going to have time to talk to you. That's okay. You have to pay attention to these people. She just... The, the fact that people all over the country love her little boy just was was the, the greatest thing that ever happened to her. And she wanted to make sure that they knew that our family appreciated him. It's just like his dad all over. Yeah. He is just his dad. The, the political views are his dad's. I've always said he got, he got his smarts from his dad. And I'm going to say silliness from me. Do you know, I found... A picture. It's not a great. It's not the greatest picture in the world. But I found over the weekend a picture of Rush had had uh, rented a yacht for those of us on the show. And we this was when we were still up at WABC, and and so it was party night around Manhattan in this yacht. And Millie was there, and I found a picture of Rush giving Millie a kiss on the lips, and the, the, it was just the sweetest. I just couldn't believe it. It's like wow. I don't even remember taking that picture. But I, but I found that picture. I'm glad you have that. Yeah. 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 So, Craig, before we, we I, I want to get back to talk about Russ, but I also want to talk about something that you do. Okay. I'm going to say one word, and I, Africa. 
I've been to Africa. What have you done in Africa? What do you, what brought you to Africa? One of the other radio personalities that I work with is a woman by the name of Delilah. I love Delilah. Glad to hear it. She has a radio program at night where she plays love songs and takes dedications. And I've had the chance to work with her every day since 2004. So for the last 17 years or so, uh, Delilah took an interest in 2004 in a woman who wrote her a letter asking if she would adopt her black children from Africa, from Ghana in particular, because she had heard that she was a white woman living in America who adopted black children. And it's true, Delilah has adopted some 15 children in her life. And at that time, she had adopted six. Delilah thought the letter might have been bogus, and later it turned out to be real. And when she confirmed that it was real, she actually traveled for the first time outside of the United States to Ghana. And when she was there, she met 80,000 Liberians or a population of 80,000 Liberians living in a refugee camp in Ghana who had fled a war in Liberia, a civil war in Liberia, and fled for their lives. And she went on that trip and came back very much changed and said, these are people who live without fresh water. I have to get them fresh water. It's the only way they're going to live. And she went on to tell me that in the little clinic that was there serving all of them, most of the children born in that community passed away because of poor hygiene, poor water standards. And so I, from afar, helped Delilah find a way to raise the money to build water wells. And unfortunately, they turned out to be saltwater wells and they were unproductive. And so in 2008, I took myself to Ghana four times to negotiate with the country of Ghana and the municipalities there to bring fresh water to that population of Liberians. Yeah. Still to this day, they drink fresh water for the equivalent of about 25 cents per family per week because of the generosity of Delilah and the intestinal fortitude that I found and just making a deal that the country of Ghana could not refuse. Greg Kitchen is a deal maker. But we have a nickname for you. Are you going to reveal it or am I? I think it's best coming from the host. Ray of the- Donovan. <laughs> we call Craig Kitchen Ray Donovan. He, <laughs> this is the, Craig gets it done. Okay, like Brian gets it done. Craig gets it done, but it's on a whole nother level. Okay. <laughs> So I aspire to be as productive and get it done as Brian Johnson, by the way. (laughs) I thought it would be helpful to define conservatism for people because nobody else was. Everybody just assumed conservatism's this or that, small government, less taxes and all this stuff. But it's really about people. It's about our understanding of people. It's about our faith, trust in people. It's about the... Knowledge that it is people that make a great nation. It's ordinary people pursuing and accomplishing extraordinary things with the freedom, the ambition to do so. And I just thought it needed to be pointed out. The love and compassion that you in this audience have shown consistently for 31 years. Uh, Craig, you know, you were the first person, I guess, that Catherine told to in our organization when Rush... What was that conversation like? She was and is a very strong woman when it comes to so many things, including looking out for the best interest of Rush. And uh, she was very composed and very strong when she shared the news that Rush was carrying 
cancer, lung cancer, advanced lung cancer. And she wanted to be there start to finish for him in every way to organize um, the doctors that he could learn from, the visits that he could take, the medicines that he might benefit from, the care when he was away from his doctors that she uh, could arrange. For the first time, she thought about the fact that with all this high profile nature and the tabloid press being what it is, that maybe there was a need for security during this period of time to ensure that Russia's privacy was kept intact. Because she shares a lot of interest with Rush and the rest of the family at that time, that his legacy was very important. She wanted to pay attention to that too. So all of that came in the form of some of the first conversations that we had once Rush shared with us that he had advanced lung cancer. When did you find out that Rush had passed? In the morning, uh, two hours before our radio program was to go on. Um, you had seen him um, for the last time in the studio on a Tuesday afternoon, I think, about three o'clock. Yeah. And um, as you know, he wanted to be on the air on that Wednesday, wanted to be on the air that Thursday and that Friday. And um, each day was a day-by-day -day circumstance. You know, there was not a guarantee that he was going to be on the air, but we had guest hosts that were on standby and backup and made available. And that morning uh, at about 10 o'clock Eastern, I heard from Catherine that our beloved Rush had passed away. And um, you prepare for that day that it comes. I wasn't prepared. Until that day comes, and then you're not prepared. Nothing prepares you for that. You could be the strongest human being on the planet Earth, but nothing prepares you for that loss. I still... I, th I always, till the day that, till the day that, that you called me and you told me, I, I thought that um, he was going to recover. And then I look back on some things and I'm like, wait a minute. I look back on things differently. Like he would tell us, like we were in the studio and he would say things like, well, I'm... I'm rounding second, and I'm on my way to third. And I was like, okay, well, pretty soon you'll be home. And I thought home was, um, was you know, remission recovery. And lately I've been wondering about that. I, don't, I wonder whether he knew what was going on and he's, you know, and whether he was really indicating that he was really headed to, to home to return that talent back from whence it came. Right. You know, so yeah. I wondered about that. I had a dream about Rush the other night which I still don't continue to quite understand. You know, he didn't have the beard, his Ernest Hemingway look. And in the dream, Brian and Dawn, and we were talking with Rush. And um, Rush, it was like present. He said, look, I'm gonna beat this. I'm, I'm, we don't, you guys stop worrying. I'm mm -hmm. gonna beat this. Everything is gonna be fine. And it's just weird. I'm wondering like, well, what is that dream about? And I think the more I think about that one, the more that, that I think that he's, telling us to do what we need to do, that he's cool, that he's fine. You know, he, it's weird because he cared about, Rush had an ego that, that any great performer has to have. He had an ego about his profession. He had an ego about who he was in the radio business. He did. He had an ego about everything that he did in the radio business. At three o'clock, that ego was gone and you came first. Whatever it was, it was about you first and not not him. Mm -hmm. He was really like selfless. So he worried a lot about like this notion that 
that he's letting us down. And he that's not the only time he said it. He said before that, that he has a lot of people on the staff depending on him. Well, unlike a lot of organizations and a lot of businesses, there was no turnover at the EIB network. And if it was, it was so rare we could count them on less than one hand. He never asked for our loyalty. It just came about because you witnessed him giving you his very best and you wanted to give him your very best in return. And you saw the talent on loan from God and you wanted to raise your game to be able to do it in your own way, in your own capacity. And so no one left the EIB network. Right. And so it's, it would make sense that a man who is as humble as he is, who is appreciative of the fact that James, you stopped your life and your career on air in the year 2000 to come back to help Rush when he was suddenly losing his hearing and he needed somebody that he could trust to talk to listeners and to help him in the privacy of a three hour studio. Just like he welcomed Brian, just like he welcomed Don. That's a man who broadcast by himself for years turned on his own broadcast equipment, figured it out his own microphone, found his way through CompuServe and any other computer iteration. He loved his privacy. So for him to give up his privacy at a time when you sacrificed your own on-air career was something he never forgot. And I think that he displayed it to you in the way that he wanted to apologize to you for letting you down that day. He never let me down, ever. Yeah, but that day that he was so together when he shared the news with us at the beginning. I think he felt that he needed to be strong for us. Yeah. And that was honestly what that was. He found it inside of himself to find the strength to be strong for us at a time when he knew we were going to be at our weakest. And yes, he went into the studio and he closed the door and he composed himself. And at 12.05 and 40 seconds, lights on, great program even with all the nervousness that he knew that at 2.45 that afternoon, he had to tell his best kept secret, the worst possible news he could to an audience because yep. he knew that a secret that pregnant, no matter how guarded the doctors were, the scientists were, it would get out. And he knows what would happen if he did not control the news. And he always believed, be honest with your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, a lot of people have been very nice telling me how much this program has meant to them but whatever that is it pales in comparison to what you all have meant to me and I can't I can't describe this but you know I know you're there every day I can see you it's it's strange how I but I know you're there I know you're there in great numbers and I know that you understand everything I say the rest of the world may not when they hear it expressed a different way, but I know that you do. You've been one of the greatest sources of confidence that I've had in my life. I've had in my life. So what's Rush's legacy going to be? He will be remembered as a man who, on air, changed the course of conversation in America. He will be known as somebody who made conservatism cool. He will be known as somebody who opened up a genre of conversation on radio that spread to television, that spread to the internet, that spread to the printed word, that spawned hundreds of books being published, where all of a sudden you could have a healthy discourse or you could be proud of your conservative beliefs. He'll be known as an entertainer who transformed the radio medium one more time 
by giving life, not just to hundreds of radio stations, 633 of them to be exact when he passed away, but at the same time, the thousands of employees that worked at those stations who have families who depended on the financial welfare of those radio stations and the tens of thousands of businesses who advertised on those 633 radio stations. But maybe most of all, what he will be remembered about is the fact that one voice could communicate to 30 million people a week and share his opinions and leave them saying, I just talked with my friend and he just shared with me what he felt and made me feel like the world was going to be okay. That's how Rush is going to be remembered. That will be his legacy. And we're watching it start to unfold, this podcast included, which is why I'm so appreciative that you would bear your soul and get others like Brian and Don and Mike Mamone and the other guests that are going to be on this podcast to tell the real truth about just a magnificent man. And thank you. And, and speaking of bearing souls, I have one more thing to bear with you, uh, 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 Craig, today. You're, you were the go-to guy for a lot of things, but you weren't just the go-to guy for talent. You are the go-to guy for, for all of us on the staff, right? And I remember one day in particular, this was, and, and there are a few things I want to say about this. Because Dawn and Brian, of course, were in the room when this happened. And Dawn is always mommy comfort and, and when she needs to be, and don't take this seriously. And Brian is always stoic and, hey, just, just whatever. So this particular day, I had three bad calls in a row, which never happens to me, but I had three bad calls in a row. Shocking that that would happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it just, it's, how, how did this happen? And Rush looks up and hits the IFB and says, listen, if that's the best that you can do, you might as well go home. And I freaked out. First of all, the freaking burn of the tears involuntarily. Yes. And then I said, and then I got on the IFB and I said, well, I'm not going home. So you can forget that. And then I just wiped every call off the board and started all over again. But I was furious. I was angry. I was hurt. I was furious. But at the same time, I was appreciative. The, and here, and so, so through that order. So Mommy Dawn said, stop it. It's okay. We're all family in here. And you know that he doesn't mean it to hurt you. Brian, it's like, hey, come on. We've been through this before. Everybody has a minute. Everybody has a minute and, and just, just chill out. I was still so hurt. I went back to my office and I picked up the phone and I called you. I said, Craig, you're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> he just told me to go home. <laughs> and, and, and you did what you always do. You listened first, listened. And then you said, listen. I understand. I understand how you would feel the way that you feel, which was the second thing, the understanding. And the third thing was kind of like, without saying it, now get your ass back to work. <laughs> <laughs> without, without saying those words. But see, this is what, this is, the, but this is the thing that I walk away with. So after all the emotions subsided, this is what I come out of that story with. And this, this wasn't like 10 years ago. This was, two years ago and this is the one of the things that i love about rush this show two years ago by the way is 500 shows ago think about we talk about rush performing in front of a microphone for three hours a day five days a week 50 or 51 weeks of the year you in the capacity that you have look at a bank of telephones and the lines coming in 
and you go through probably 20 or 25 phone calls before there is one person that you believe is talking about what's interesting to Rush in an articulate form on a good cell phone connection that's never been on the radio before that can make the host look good and can get to their point succinctly. And that's it. So you run through the gauntlet and do that 15 hours a week, right? It's a hard job, the one that you had. A really hard job, the one you had. But I digress. That was two years ago, and we had a great conversation on the phone, and you came back to work the next day. Right. And the thing that always blew my mind, and it still blows my mind, is that Rush was always, the show was the thing. The first time I ever screwed up with Rush was, I thought the show was over because we were at the last, at the end of the last commercial break. And so I was starting to prepare something for that we needed for post-production. This was in the, our studios in New York. And all of a sudden, it's like a minute left, and he's like looking for a phone call that had dropped or something. And I was caught totally flat-footed. And after that, he called me in the studio. He said, listen, I don't care what's going to happen after the show. The show is the thing. Never, ever let that happen again, right? And so to me, it's the same thing. All these years later, all that success later, the most important thing to him was that show and making every single solitary moment of that show happen. And that's the professional. That's one of the reasons I love. I love working with Rush and I love him because he always was that. He always set that bar of excellence. When he said excellence in broadcasting and he came up with that as the slogan for the network that he wanted to do, he meant it. He wanted everything to be excellent. And so I will say and close that with you this way, Craig. Your career has been uh, one of excellence. And, and Dawn, what is it that Dawn and Brian have been in the room all this time, by the way. What is it that you want to say, Dawn? Oh, wait, wait, get a microphone. Come and get to a microphone, boss. Why don't you ask Craig, a.k.a. Ray Donovan, if he has any firsthand knowledge of how tough it is to be a call screener? Because you just did. <laughs> you can't ask somebody to do something for a living if you don't try it yourself. I know what kind of official recorder of the radio program I could be. I don't dare try to do what Dawn did, although I studied it intensely to understand every tool that she needed and her undivided attention. When you translate the phone calls from a caller calling in with a deep accent and Rush needs it in real time to be able to hear those words and read those words and read the emotion in those words so that on the air, because the show is the thing and excellence is the thing, Rush did not want to delay his response because he had an audience expectation to meet, right? We're having a conversation. You hear me, I hear you. Same thing is true with Brian's expertise in the studio as well. How do you, as a broadcast engineer, put a man on the air who has lost the ability to hear himself, let alone any other sound effect or voice in the world, and make him sound like he is present with that, right? Mm -hmm. James, your job was one that I actually could at least audition for. <laughs> and I saw it as being a place where humanity came into contact with the program. And if I did not learn how to do that so that I could help you in a world that transformed from being landline to cell phone, from being one conservative talk program to 15 on the air in any given day, where the listeners are actually more informed and smarter than ever before, when the number of opposing liberals who want to get on the air and get past you the gatekeeper to embarrass the host, occasionally Rush would take a day off and allow Todd Herman to fill in for him. Occasionally James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, deserved to take a day off so somebody could fill in for you. I was happy to do it. Thank you. 
Yeah, how was it? Did you like it? (laughs) (laughs) You felt at the end of three hours as if you were emotionally exhausted. Yes. You felt like you had just done battle in meeting 80 or 90 people for the first time on a phone call and got them queued up. And maybe if you were lucky, nine of them would be on the air over the course of three hours, if you were lucky. But if Rush had a day and the monologues were going and his and his witticisms were happening and he was firing on all 12 cylinders, maybe only four phone calls would get in. But you didn't worry about the fact that you just put all that effort into getting the best callers because you knew that he was absolutely in command of what needed to happen. That's right. Yeah. And so the excellence wasn't just for the radio program, the Rush Limbaugh Show, greatest radio program that ever existed. The organization that you built, amazing. The organization that still stands today, even though you formed a new organization, amazing. Thank you. The team of people that we got to be with. Totally amazing. All stars, all 24. But more importantly than that, more important than any of that to me, Craig, is that any time that I needed to have a friend that I knew had my back. I could call you and you were always there and you always had my back. And so. Thank you thank for trusting you, me. Craig, for all of that. You, more than anything else. I mean, you, you, to me, you're the single greatest radio executive that ever lived and that's all cool, that's all well and thank good. Thank you. I don't think that impresses God. I think that God gets impressed by what you do for your fellow man and the way you treat people. And Craig, when it comes to that, you have no second. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, James. Wow. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm truly humbled, ladies and gentlemen. I, uh, I, I actually never thought this would happen. Um, and I am, I am truly gratified to, uh, to all of those responsible for it. And the list is long. I'd like to start with how this radio program actually started. Five years ago, I was brought to New York by Ed McLaughlin, to whom I probably owe everything as far as this national career of mine uh, has, has gone. And we wanted to try something that everybody in the business said wouldn't work. We were going to syndicate a national program in the daytime without local issues, without local phone numbers, and so forth. And nobody in the business thought it would work. And today, if I might say, most radio stations looking to succeed are looking to syndicated programming for their salvation. And Ed McLaughlin is the man responsible for this, and I would like to tip my hat to him tonight for the courage to take on that which nobody thought could be done. I would also like to uh, thank the American people. Uh, I uh, have often been asked to go speak to associations, broadcast associations, and I've, I've always turned down the request because I don't know what I would say to them. I say what I say to the American people, and any chance I have a chance to speak to them, I do. And I am so grateful and so honored for uh, the, the overwhelming change in my life that they have brought. Uh, Regardless what I mean to them, I am certain that I will never mean as much to them as they mean to me. When I moved to New York, I didn't plan on becoming a political spokesman. In fact, politics was the last thing I factored in in determining whether or not I would be a success. I was coming to be on radio, a media guy, and I love radio. I do television too, but that microphone is right here and that camera is 20 feet away and there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. TV is the medium of our time, there's no question, but I am proud to be part of the marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. Four years ago when people went to vote, people said, 
My gosh, there aren't enough people voting. There's apathy. The people don't care. Today, the Congress of the United States is attempting to shut talk radio up because people care too much. And I am proud to be a part of that. Thanks for listening to this, the third episode in our 12-part series, Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. And thanks to our guest today, Craig Kitchen. Join us for episode four. You won't want to miss it. Coming up next week, David Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, is produced by Chris Kelly and Phil Tower, the best producers in America. Production assistants, Mike Mamone, and the executive producers, Craig Kitchen and Julie Talbot, our program distributed worldwide by Premier Networks, found on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is James Golden. This is Bo Snurdly. This is James Golden. I'm honored to be your host for this and every single episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Thank you for being with us.